Welcome to episode four of the Inclusion Initiative, a Jedi AAEM podcast, a production of the Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. Each month, this podcast will feature established leaders as well as a diverse group of members in the specialty of emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Kimberly Brown, current AAEM at-large board member, speaks with AAEM Wellness Committee co-chair, Dr. Al A. Alvarez. I guess the first thing is, is tell me a little bit about yourself and how you grew up. Yeah, I um, I moved here from the Philippines uh, when I was 13. And uh, I lived in Long Island in New York uh, for a couple of years. And um, I think to abbreviate my, my time course in, in, in my stay here in the U.S., um, my, I was raised by a single mom. And uh, that was a big shock for her because she never planned on bringing her kids. I'm, I'm one of three, bringing her kids to the U.S. because the plan was always uh, for us to grow up in our uh, in our country and 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 live there. Uh, but when my parents separated, uh, it was a lot more uh, important for my mom to actually be with us as we grow up because growing up she would send us money to. Uh, to pay for my uh, for our education uh, for for our life uh, uh, in the Philippines, and then um, just see us like once or twice uh, every two years. And so, so let me let me stop you there. So um, sure. you're separated, like or got divorced, and yeah. were you in the Philippines with your father while your mom left the country to provide? Is that what it happened? Yeah, so initially that was the plan. And then when they split up, uh, my dad actually left us to try to patch things up with my mom, um, which meant that we were just alone in the Philippines. So I think at the age of, gosh, I don't even remember, probably nine or 10, um, um, I was pretty much like kind of running the family uh, uh, in, in in the Philippines. Um, and so when when my dad left uh, to, to be in the U.S., that's when my mom was like, well, there's no, I mean, sustainably, it's not going to be easy to for her to go back there and, and raise us. Uh, and and, uh, and so when we moved here, um, she just like decided to like, that was it. Like, that was our new life. And so we had to figure that out. Uh, and, and not even like two years, I then had to go, like, I, I graduated very early uh, in, in high school. Uh, part of it is circumstances. Uh, the the U.S. system had no idea how to plug and play the classes that I took in the in the Philippines, and so I had the option, um, and I took it. Uh, and, and in hindsight, probably not the best decision. Um, uh, but I graduated when I was I, I turned sixteen when I was in college. Um, yeah, not as uncommon as you think. Um, some of my sorority sisters um, are from the Bahamas, and a lot of uh, Bahamians came to my undergrad, Fisk University, but a lot of them were like 16, 17 years old. That's right. Coming over and like, you know, having, they couldn't even drink, they couldn't even do anything. Well, that was me. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't um, turn 21 until I, I graduated college. And also because I'm the first person in, in my family to go to college in the U.S., um, nobody had any idea how to navigate that, including the cost of that. So like, I took out as many loans as I could possibly get. Uh, eventually, my mom had to help take out loans, like cutting some of her like um, uh, what do you call that um, retirement funds, like to pay for my for my education. And so, so all of that, like we had to navigate, which also I think added the pressure for me to make sure I do very well. Um, 
because I knew I wanted to be a doctor. My mom actually tried to persuade me in several multiple occasions not to do medicine because it was just too expensive. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and so then in, in college, I took, I took on several jobs to pay for, to help pay for my, my to, to live. So let me let me backtrack a little bit because you said a couple things that I was really interested in. I want to go back to what you said about you kind of being the man of your household. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm assuming that your parents never got back together, and then yeah. the one from that point on, from when you were 13, yeah. and then later you you graduated from from high school <laughs> like and then you're going into college like you, you had your 16th birthday in college that yeah. take me back to to that LA like where what what is your mindset going on in that like that's um that's huge that's phenomenal to come to a new country uh yeah. as a teenager and basically boss up as an adult and then kill it huh in college to become a physician like that says so much thank you um and 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 for me I, I i speak about this now because i think when people see the things that i do now and and and, and the roles that i have they're like oh my gosh like he's done a lot um and and yes i have done a lot but i think part of that journey was really um failing a lot uh and and navigating a lot of these like areas where we had no idea like there were times where I like I had to decide do I stay in college for the summer so I can um, I, I can continue some some studies and also I mean the reality is I was 16 17 I didn't want to go back to um, being with my mom and, and I love my mom I'm very close to my mom but like I grew up so far away from her that like living with her um, in the same house meant like we would collide all of a sudden like you have to do laundry. You have to do, like we didn't know how to do that, right? Like, and 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 I respect her a lot more now because she put up with all of that. She she did the laundry. She did all the. She cooked for us while also doing like three different jobs, uh, mostly at nighttime, so that she can like pay for like the brattiness of us asking for like our friends want to go to Disney. Like that was never a thing for us in the Philippines. We never knew like those. Um, that that life but then now that we were here the peer pressure also kind of kicked in and my mom tried her best right like and and so I think in reflection that's how you see a lot of my work now like advocacy advocacy for first generation physicians advocacy for DEI advocacy for women in medicine because that was my mom like but she she put up with a lot of my crap to get me to to where I am and and so you ask like how did I boss man myself to this role? It was because I was following like a great role model. Like, like even though like we, we there's a lot of struggle, like our first Thanksgiving, I still remember this, I, our first Thanksgiving, um, we stopped by Boston Market to get turkey, right? And then, and then of course the brattiness in me like told my mom, like, mom, like, why don't we cook turkey ourselves? Like, it was a simple question, but my mom never cooked turkey before because that was not her thing, right? Like, and so the year after, she actually learned to cook turkey, and and now one of the like the thing that 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 I have done with her um, over the years is we would we would make turducken. Like, I made a very special thing about it, right? Like, why not just like eat turkey, make it so grand? But but it's in these moments that I realized like um, that the the things that we had to put up 
with uh, to get to where we are to to then figure out ways to make that better better for ourselves but but also like a story like something to talk about um yeah like and, and again so you asked me like tell me about yourself like I don't normally say this but I think like you you have created a, a space that we can talk about like honestly like these are the challenges like I can tell you about like applying to to med school for instance and and not knowing like for the SATs, for instance, I was told like, oh, just pass it, but, but make sure you take TOEFL, right? Like I was put in an ESL class. And so I didn't even understand any of these things. And so, um, but I did, I took the test uh, and, and my guidance counselor was uh, in high school told me like, you should just do BOCES, like, because that's what immigrants do. Like, and I don't even understand what BOCES is, but I was like, I thought like, I said, does that become like, does that help me become a doctor? That kind of questions. Um, and so when I took the MCAT, like I sucked at it. Like I barely, like I was below average, right? And then I took it again and, and I still I was like barely below average. Um, <laughs> right, and, and there's stories like this that, that people don't share. And, and I openly talk about this because um, number one, I think it highlights the grits that, that we've had to, uh, to kind of just embrace. And at the same time, like, again, because now, now I know that like these are just numbers that these are actually put in place to prevent certain people uh, to to do well. Um, the biases that are embedded in, in, in these infrastructures. So so then that's what I, that like, that's some of the work that I've done. Like uh, now in my role, right, and, and even being a part of getting rid of using step one or step two um, to to filter applicants because. I applied to, no, no, no. go ahead. You're gonna go in deep. <laughs> and I wanna hear that part, but I, I wanna go back one other thing, other question sure. I had. You do do a lot. And I do a you have so many roles, you're at Stanford, you do DI, yeah. advocacy. But what made you want to be a physician? Because you said you knew you wanted to do it. And then your mom is like, no, 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 baby boy. You cannot do it, be a doctor. Yeah you anyway so what was in you that wouldn't let that go of being the, the thought of being a physician yeah and, and and in hindsight it's probably the wrong thing but I'm glad that I did it um growing up um so I was raised by by my mother's side and so my grand I grew up with my grandparents my grandfather like uh both my grandparents didn't didn't graduate from high school I think my grandfather did uh, high school only um and, but but his role, he knew his role, like in as much as he can't do a lot with his life because of the limitation of not having gone to college, like he knew that by being a bus driver, by taking us to school, like that was his contribution. And so he would ask us, like, what are we going to do? And so like, it's a matter of pride for him, like somehow it clicked that I was going to be a doctor. And so like, I started checking his blood pressure, like this kid that had no idea how to do that. Like I had to learn how to check his blood pressure. Yeah, I know. Like really? as a kid, like literally, like he, he would like because my mom. Oh, my I, my mom is a nurse. Like most Filipinos are who moved to the U.S. And so, exactly. so, so that is like the my connection to to healing and and the medical space. Um, and so, um, I guess I look up to that. And 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 if I really trace back, I think the earliest uh, memory of me wanting to be a doctor was. Um, my cousin, who was like one of my best friends, 
and my younger brother would fight like like war fights like one is like the good guy and one is the bad guy they would always alternate and I never had the role and so my role then was like well I can be the doctor because whoever gets injured I'll just take care of you and I kind of stuck with them right like and it's a silly game but it stuck and so like whenever I visited my my whenever my my grandfather would introduce us to other people it's like oh here's the doctor in the family and that identity um it kind of stuck and then of course then I started watching tv shows like uh, Doogie Howser or like um, ER like those are like the growing up tv shows that I watched because I was like oh I do I, I can see myself doing this I think you've led the Filipino male version of my life like right Really, but quick. I think what you'll realize is that many of us have the same journey. We just don't talk about it because many of these journeys are are usually filled with struggles, uh, failures, right? And 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 for many people, that's not exciting. They they just want to highlight like accomplishments or achievements. The only thing that you see at the end is the win. You don't one hundred percent. They don't see the begging of like I need to reapply like the nervousness of like crossing your fingers, like wishing to whoever like out there, like, please let me just like be a number. Like, I think at that time it was like 30, like be, let me be, let me be a 30. So like I was close to 30, but still like I was close to 30. It's like, maybe that's good enough than like the 24 that I had. Right. And the expense of it all. I mean, I worked two jobs. I was scrimping and saving. I still barely qualified. Yes like you know application help and then you know secondary applications are coming around but you don't see all of that you don't see how many times like I I applied and heard nothing yeah <laughs> years of time I got I got accepted to one one medical school after being waitlisted I interviewed the two medical schools and and because I was waitlisted to one again like and, and, and that's after, so I'll give you a, a background here that, that may be relevant only be, and this is, this is partly humble brag, but really this is part of the hustle, right? Like I had three jobs in undergrad to help pay for my education. And I finished three degrees in four years before I was 21, right? And so I did all of this and you know what? It didn't matter because what mattered was an MCAT score above a 30, and so it didn't matter, like all of these work that I did, like I was the president of this and I was the vice president of this. And then I led this and I was a resident. I did a lot. Like these look at my CV. I did a lot. And, and it didn't matter because of one grade. Like I, like I had honors in, 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 in college, but again, it didn't matter because of the MCAT. Um, and so I applied to Stanford. I didn't even get a wait list. It was an automatic rejection, right? Like they, they took money, I think, to fill out my secondary, just enough for, for them to say like, nope not going to make it. And, and, and so my, my point of sharing this is that um, when I got waitlisted, I had to make a decision. Like, do I reapply? Do I like, do I get a job because I have to start paying for my student loans now? Do I just continue grad school? Because maybe if I defer, if I can be a, a, a forever student, I don't have to pay student loans. Like, these are real calculations that happen in, in my mind. Um, and so what I did was I, um, I was the resident advisor. And so I got a job actually in California at Stanford, of all places, to be a resident advisor for a for a center for talented youth. So like kids, like the top 2%, or I think top 1% of, of, of kids, 56th graders in the country. 
um, and, and to be the resident, which is a great job, right? Like, um, and all I had to do was like have fun and show them how to have fun beyond like just focusing their studies. And then after that, I did AmeriCorps. I, I, I did a year of AmeriCorps in Chicago uh, working in the emergency department. And before I left, so before graduating, before leaving for California, the medical school actually called me and they said, hey, um, you don't know this, but you were number one on our wait list. And so there's an opening. And so now we you can start medical school. And at that point, I, I told my the dean, like, that's great. Thank you. I'm very grateful for this. But like, I have a life that I've just like planned for the next year. I can't like back out on that. If I need to, I will, ha I, 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 if I have to, I, I'll do it. But like, but I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share with you a, a compelling reason. Like I graduated three degrees, but I barely made it. It's like, and I don't even know how to talk to people because I'm too young and, and, and the pressure of not getting into medical school at this age and if I go to medical school at this age and failing, like I know that I would blame my age and not my true worth. And so I, I don't I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Say that at the age of 21. Huh? Say that literally to the dean when you were 21. Yeah, I'm sure I can find the email somewhere. I really did. I said like that's not a lesson I understood until I was 25 and finally. Right school by the skin of my teeth and everybody knows that I went to a Caribbean medical school yeah so much truth in what you don't what, what you what the failure tells you is what is yeah. telling you, ready to hear it it's like you were not ready yet it's it's not that you failed it's not that you were rejected it's like you were literally redirected to something else it's not your yeah. time and you need to have other experiences to be mature yeah Oh, because you're right. Who wants to sit across from a 23 year old doctor that has never even understood? And I don't know how to talk to people. Like literally, I was so like the the me now that you talk to is a very different me. Like I guess 15 or so years ago, I didn't know how to talk to people. Like like you were very very shy. You said that to me before. <laughs> I'm a very very shy, I, and I am actually like when I do those like tests, like uh, personality tests, like depending on the year, I'm either an introvert or an extrovert. And, and I've actually sat with like an expert who like explained this to me. And, and because I think I navigated that so well, I can, I can be an introvert. So, and, and in terms of like, I just went on a nice retreat this past weekend. I needed all day yesterday to recuperate from that, even though like it was a retreat, right? But, but I need that, like, and, and it was not like a strenuous, I didn't fly like across the world. Like I, it was literally like a two hour drive. But, but for me, it was a lot of vulnerability, a lot of sharing. And I needed yesterday to just do nothing. Like I caught up on a lot of TV shows because then it allowed me to be here today. Yeah, that's so but, but that's Those are the kinds of boundaries that I've learned now. But so, so going back to that point, I think at that stage of, of my life, like I knew that I can continue the hustle, but I don't ever want to blame like my age or like, I one reason why I applied to Stanford, even though I knew my MCAT was not going to allow for it, was that I was never going to be that person that will say like, oh, I could have gone to Harvard. No, I couldn't because I applied and I did not get in. And so now that I'm at Stanford, like I own this because I applied and, and I got rejected. And I actually just gave a keynote to them last month, like to the, the Teaching and Mentoring Academy and shared that like, you guys have rejected me for medical school, for residency. 
And here I am now, like I have helped change the way that you recruit people. I interview, like I interview applicants. I, I am part of the, the diversity advisory panel now that actually changed like right now, like to this day, like I still have a, like a thing open in my, one of my screens about how can we formalize holistic review um, in, at Stanford School of Medicine. And we do, we've done holistic review for a while now, but, but again, there's a lot of these like um, subjective ways of looking at it. How can we just make it objective? Like, so that it's standardized. So like every single one, when we sit down and talk uh, about a candidate, we can, we can honestly say that we gave them the best chance possible uh, to, to be reviewed. And, and, and I've done that because again, like I, I'd like to think that I'm doing well at Stanford and, and because they rejected me so many times, how many more of me did they not get, um, did they not give the opportunity to do the work that, we're, that I'm able to do now? And how many of these stories resonate across the country that like people have been summarily um, rejected based on some random cutoffs in numbers? So how did you, I guess, circle back to this point where you are now teaching and leading? Tell me about, well, I guess let's talk about emergency medicine because of sure. course now school, you, you get in and I'm sorry, you go to Stanford, you don't go to Stanford, you went to where for medical school? Oh, I trained in uh, medical school. I went to the state school in New York, same oh. undergrad, same Buffalo. So, and then when you got to residency, um, where did you go for residency? Uh, Jacoby in the Bronx. So tell me, how did you discover emergency medicine then? Where, how did you fall into this path? Yeah, um, again, silly way of landing. Um, I, I really resonated with ER, the TV show. I wanted to be uh, those characters who would take care of anyone, anywhere, anytime, right? Like there's always drama. It really resonated. And I, I just rewatched like ER, the TV show again. And it reminded me of this is what I thought emergency medicine is. And, and for the most part, I get to do the things that they do there. Um, some of the challenges that, that I even like bring up like are very real to this day. Um, and, and of course there's archaicness now, like uh, of the, the, some of the things that they practice. But overall, like I, I wanted to be um, in an environment where I can take care of people, not caring whether they can afford it or not, because that was me. Like, I, and, and, and also there's the can-do attitude in emergency medicine that's, that many specialties don't really have. Like um, in residency, I was in Haiti right after the big earthquake in 2010. I was in Ghana for like two months. I really wanted to, to learn more about austere environments. Um, and, and, and if it was not for my student loans, I would have actually, like I applied for international, for a global health fellowship, like international fellowship. I just, I just cannot be like a forever student. I realized I just have to start making money to, to pay for, for, for my loans because I did, I took a lot of loans and, 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 and actually I took a lot of loans for undergrads out of survival, but for medical school, because I took that year off, I realized that um, there's more to life than just like getting A's. Because again, I, I realized that I, I got all of those A's in undergrad but barely made it to medical school because of MCAT, right? So, so why do that for medical school? Like I need to learn medicine for the sake of learning medicine and not to get to the best residency program out there. Um, and, and that best residency program out there was very individualized because it changes from one person to another. 
And so I, I'm so glad I, I learned that for during my year off um, because of mentors that I met at AmeriCorps. And, and so in, in all honesty, I, I maximized my student loans in medical school, not just to survive, but to travel, but to like live like a comfortable life. Because I, I, I know how it feels like to get paid $9,000 for an entire month living in a big city like Chicago. I know how, um, how to survive having multiple jobs to just like pay for like living while most of my, like all of my, actually all the AmeriCorps program that I was in, there's 12 of us. All of us, except for me, were in like, we're getting food stamps. And the only reason I did not get food stamps was because um, I was not a citizen then, right? Like even like with the work that I did, I did not qualify for like the basic support that the government would offer. And so I, but I, I for me, it was just a good reminder that like I can survive even like with the most meager resources out there. And uh, when I went to medical school, I don't need to do that anymore. <sighs> well. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, I feel inspired. Yeah, well, but, but but thank you. And and again, I'm I'm open book. Like when people are like, we don't often get to talk about that. So like for step one, for instance, right? I passed step one by one point, which again like led to most of those rejections that I got um, in 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 residence. And I only and and again, I was not that smart compared to other people in terms of like applying to so many programs. And Ian was not that competitive then, so I applied to. I think like seven or eight programs, but I really wanted, so so I got lucky. I rotated at Kings County downstate. And, and that really opened up why I wanted to do emergency medicine. Like the the the, the service, the mission that they have was really there. And and actually the people at downstate, they were they loved me. Like and, and Chris Doty still like brings this up whenever he can. So it's like, you know, you you did not come to our program because they really thought I was gonna go to their program. Um, selfishly, I wanted to go to Chicago because again of ER, like Cook County. Cook County rejected me. Same. Cook County I rotated with them um for, as a trauma student because I was oh, you did? I had to have Cook County trauma on my yeah, right. I know I want to do emergency medicine because that's the epitome. That's right. I brought patients to Cook County. My patients like when I did AmeriCorps, like I would take the bus with them like early in the morning because I knew at four in the morning or five in the morning, the line is not that long uh, to get like the CT scans and whatnot. And so I would I would take the bus because I'm not allowed to drive my patient. Like I would drive to my patient's house and then like meet them. Like we'll take the bus together because these are the patients that would utilize the emergency department for many times with no health insurance. And so my job was to connect them to primary care, right? It taught me how... Like, I don't want to be a primary care doctor. Like, I don't want to do that work, right? And also, like, the strategies. How can you navigate healthcare? Um, and so I did. Like, I would show up to Cook County at, like, 3 in the morning, to like, 4 in the morning. And and, and I got to meet some of the residents there. But you know what? I I, I got their interview. Um, I ranked them number one. I didn't get it. But again, these are, for me, um, I think the world kind of just conspires to get you to a different place. Like, and and so when I when I was at Kings County, they told me it's like you know there's this program called Jacoby. It's a little bit more academic than Downstate. Like that is not. I mean, like uh, one can argue one or the other now. Like um, 
and 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 so I ranked Jacoby higher. And and this is like they know this. Like Jacoby knows this. Like Kings County knows this. So every time, like I even applied for a job for Kings County, um, and and I know this is recorded. You can show this to them. Like I love Kings County. I really do. Um, and and so much more. Like I I still remember. Like when I get when I apply for a job. Like Lucchese offered Dr. Lucchese offered me the job. He even gave me money for my parking. Like that's how good those people are, right? But I also told them, like, you know, I, I I have a job in California. Like, I'm doing this interview because I really want to see, like, what, like, downstate is like now, now that I'm looking for a job uh, as an attending. And, and should I ever consider going back to New York, I would love to work at this place. And, and, and so they knew, like, I was also going to Cal. So, like, in some ways, I rejected downstate twice, like, for residency and for a job. And, and Chris Doty has not forgot, forgiven me for that, like. Uh, the Mark Silverberg, like I remember Silverberg, like he saw me during my interview, like he threw a pen and it was like, you are applying here again, like you, you were supposed to be here for like for 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 residency, but 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 this is our family, like this is emergency medicine, like we make decisions and also like honor each other and, and the journey that we have, like for me, I don't have hard feelings and, and I hope they don't have hard feelings against me because I, I have sent so many great people at, at Downstate because I love that place. Right. But I'm also this, this is me, the very authentic me that was like, I don't hide this because like, I don't, I don't ever want to feel awkward when I see the, the Chris Doty or like the, the Mark Silverbergs about like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of didn't rank you high. I, I never lied. I said you were top, in my top three. Right. I never said you were in my number one. <laughs> you told the truth, which is another thing to, for people to learn, uh, residents specifically. I'm sorry, not as resident medical students um, when they are applying. If you're going to tell someone that they are number one, actually rank them number they one. They better be your number one. Yeah. You better be telling the truth because this, this world is small and it is very, very easy for residency programs to talk to each other and to figure out, you know. Well, they call you out publicly in your national talks, which right. that has happened many times now. And Chris or like Mark Silverberg called me out about like, you know, we wanted you in our program, that kind of stuff. And then like, yes, and thank you, right? Like, <laughs> yes, no, that's great. All right, where, where do you want to take this conversation next? Like, now about, thank you. You're transitioning yourself. I want to know, okay, so you are in residency, you finished residency. How did you become connected to AAM? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's easy. Um, Jacoby supports AAM. Okay. Why, you, you, you're shrugging it off like, I mean, do you hope he supports AAM? I'm, okay, why Why is that? Why? Yeah, no, I mean, like, they they, they truly believe in, a, in AAM um, and, and they just paid for our dues. And so for for uh, for me as a, as a new grad, um, of course, I, I went to programs that was free. Uh, I mean, like AAM conference was free and and, and that was an easier way for, for, for me to, to get involved. Why I've continued AEM um, is something different. Um, I I did not know this, but when I looked for a job, so when I was looking for a job after residency, I did not know that the hospital that I was working with um, was affiliated with Stanford. That's how I got into Stanford, right? It was like a pure happenstance. Like um, they never advertised that I'll be working at Stanford or I'll be an affiliate of Stanford. Like they they actually did not want to do that because their goal was to attract county people working in a county environment, um, and and not to kind of live uh, work at uh, at the county and then move to Stanford the next year, which happens a lot. Um, and so 
when I was at the county, um, our group was was part of a corporate management group, and and it was a great group. I I, I actually super super support this group, um, but because it's a corporate management group, every two years we would our contract was up for bid, um, and it was very scary. Um, and and our group eventually was taken over about seven eight years ago, um, probably less than that, probably five years six years ago. Time clearly um, flies for me. Um, and when that was taken over. Um, due process was actually a very very important piece and and i did i and 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 i'm not a lawyer but i read my contract and then i saw the language and i actually emailed them specifically i highlighted it and i still have a copy of that it's like hey um does this mean that you can just fire me for whatever reason and it's like no no of course not like we would of course talk to you um but but i didn't understand it then but that was the beginning of uh, of me really exploring like the importance of reading contracts and um, and so I was used essentially to help transition the new group into uh, the county hospital because the residency uh, was rotating there um, and uh, one reason after go ahead you have a, a look of question yeah were you exposed um, to some of these topics like due process and reading your contracts um, in residency or more so through AAM? How did you get the awareness of that? Because I don't feel like a lot of residents get exposed in that. Oh, no, not necessarily. Um, I In brief, when I was looking at contracts, um, when I was graduating, Jacoby helped me with that uh, and attendings read my uh, or not really read my contract, but like um, help give advice about like you should read your contract or you should get a lawyer. I never did any of that uh, because it's a big organization. I was like, like they're not going to screw me. Um, and I really wanted to go to this hospital. Um, but the new group that took over was fairly new, was fairly small. Um, and so I, 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 there was a lot of red flags already um, when, when, when that was happening. And I already knew that, that um, as an FAAM then, and I knew like um, AEM did a lot of work on this already. Um, and I never knew I was going to actually like look towards AEM to see like, this is crap. Like, what can we do to to do this? Like, long story short, um, I was let go a year and a half into my role there. Um, and, and essentially I was fired. So like for like three months, I had zero like full-time job. Were they able to do that because of the due process clause? Oh, yeah. Had? Yeah. And you were not able to negotiate that out? No, I was willing to. I actually went to the, the I went to the, um, uh, what do you call that? The physician, the medical, whatever the, the, the head in the, in the, in the, in the hospital, um, the, essentially the committee that, that kind of uh, takes care of physician affairs. Uh, because there's like some 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 issue that they that they raise. I was like, well, that's not accurate. Like, can we can we explore this more? Um, and and I want to understand this more. Um, and then when when the um, when the, the the hospital actually wants to explore it and to to really understand like what's happening, um, the the private group said, oh, um, we're we're taking this internally because this is more of an internal issue and not really like a hospital problem. And that's when um, really the conversation about like, you can continue working here, but most likely we won't have any more um, uh, hours for you um, after three months, right? And 
and and it was never like you should do this or you should not do this like it was more of um i think you've run out your, your time has run out here um uh, at the county and and that was probably one of the lowest that is the lowest time of my professional career um and and something that i struggled with um even like um um seeking legal counsel like can they do this and and it all like i talked to like several lawyers um and all they said well you know you signed like a, a your contract as an independent contractor there there really is not a lot of recourse here um and and yeah and, and that's how i ended up at stanford and and i still remember the conversation with with my chair then he's like how are you gonna what's gonna happen to you i mean i think that comes maybe from a good place um if i'm uh, if i'm uh, thinking about it uh, with a beginner's mind um, and then I and I told him I was like I'll be fine I'll miss working at the county because I, there's a mission here and, and and there's a lot of good work being done here, um, and uh, and and this is just going to be the next chapter of my life um, I'll, I'll figure it out, uh, but I am disappointed that like it's led to 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 this and 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 um, in some ways it's a premonition of what's been like what has happened since like. The group was taken over again, and now that's another group has taken. I'm like, it, this is just now the 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 future of the sad future of uh, contract management groups. That's um, in some ways it's not personal. Well, I it's not personal. It is business, um, unfortunately, and I put that in quotation marks, of course. Um, sure. I I can't imagine you know going through something like that. I I know it happens very commonly, but again, yeah. talk about these problems or I feel like sometimes as AEM, we just say, oh, we're against, we want due process. We want that. And people don't understand no. what that is in the context of like everyday life. And so sure. first, thank you for sharing, you know, that is a part of your journey that unfortunately you were affected in this way. But how many other physicians out there that are excellent, that are just like you, everybody has been listening to us talk, you know, for this time and hearing your heart and your soul and your passion for patients and for serving county patients, which not everybody has. Yeah. Um, and so for private equity, for due process, for things like that to continue to get in the way yeah. of here. I just wanted to make sure that we specifically highlighted that because it's yeah. We, we, like I said, we we're in a lawsuit against Envision, and we're trying yeah. to express why we're doing it. These are the reasons why is that you know we're signing away our rights to to defend ourselves, thereby yeah. our patients and thereby serve patients. Um, and so I just want to say, like I said, thank you for sharing that part of your journey. Um, and then I was going to also ask. Uh, you know, now that you're at Stanford and you're doing everything there, has that experience with losing your job from a lack of due process, um, has that propelled you into the wellness um, aspect as well, too? No, that's very different. Um, that's a very different journey. But So I, I'll go there um, okay. and I will just pause and, and go back a little bit to, to the conversation that we just had about due process. Um, I believe and, and, and I think because of, of how I've lived my life so far in terms of that hustle um, and, and, and making uh, lemonades out of these lemons, 
my very first first author paper is on due process right like i work i i publish on and, and the need for due process in medical education because of how disruptive it is in in medical education right like so that was one i've also uh, uh co-wrote like pieces for aem specifically on due process because in some ways it was cathartic for me that like like all of those bad experiences that I've had, like really awful um, um, isolating experiences, um, it was something that I was able to pivot and, and, and actually help me get to where I am now, right? Regarding the, the physician wellness role, um, that's actually a very different path. Um, it's because I caused a lot of burnouts. So I was the assistant medical director at, at the county hospital. Right. And so part of the reason why I, I caused a lot of heat was that I made I, I was that person that would try to make things faster, better, more efficient, which means that in a county hospital, when you're trying to say, like, we need to see patients faster, we need to see patients in the waiting room because like they're not well. And then you're like clashing with like leadership because that's not how they get paid. And like you're disrupting the flow. Right. Like it, now I know. That, that there are better ways of, of saying that or like of, of doing that. But like I trained in the Bronx, like we had to fight for our patients in order to get things done. Um, and, and knowing what I know now, there's different ways of communicating this, which okay. is now I've invested a lot. So how would you, if you could talk to the LA of then, how yeah. would you talk about those things and maybe avoid burnout along the way? This Yeah. Time? I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to say that I have not really truly burnt out. Um, I have a lot of struggles, right? But, but I, I've seen these struggles as a means. I mean, again, I look to my mom. If she put up with a lot of crap, like I don't get to really complain a lot because these are all in, in comparison to the struggles that she's done, nothing. And so, and also like, and there was a moment when I was like, oh, I should be this level now. And I should, I should have done this. I'm like, my my grandfather was a bus driver, right? Like if you compare like the journey that I've gotten to where I was initially, like people thought I would get go to, like I've done a lot already in my career. And so now I, I, I have contentment. I have acceptance of like, I do work and I'm content with my work, not to be a slacker. Like I continue to do work, but now I continue to do work that I'm passionate about. So the me is so if I had to give myself that advice 10 years ago, and, and even 10 years ago, this advice would ring very true. I would focus on things that really, truly mattered immediately. And so if it was a STEMI outside, then yes, like room that patient immediately. But if it was because you wanted that CT scan faster for that patient that you ordered a CT scan in the waiting room, I can't break my back for a system that's broken. Because at the end of the day, when I make mistakes, right, it's going to be me who will have to respond to those QI letters. I send those QI letters, right? And so now when, when even at a, at a place like Stanford, and sometimes the waiting room is really, really bad, and the nurses ask me, can you see more patients in the waiting room? I say no, not because I don't care about the patients, but because I care about the quality of work that I do. I will not compromise the care that I do for my patient in order to simply better our turnaround time. I just refuse to do that anymore, right? Because if, if, if I am the slowest in a department, then I 
then I need to do better. I, I, there are ways for me to do that. But I don't think that I'm the slowest in the, in the department. And, and if so, then why stress about that one patient that I'm trying to advocate for, but they're like in comparison to other patients, they're not as bad, right? Like, and so now I pick and choose. Not because I, uh, not because of, of biases, but because it really is not fair to be put, like we talk about moral injury, like that is moral injury, having to make decisions, betraying my own values in order to do the right thing for my patient. Now I choose to just do the right thing for my patient based on the environment that I'm capable of doing. And that's not easy for many people. I still see residents like getting so frustrated. There's like five more reds that they have to see. And I'm like, are they dying? Because if they're not, then they should continue to wait until we see them so that we can actually do the right care. Because if you see them for 30 seconds in a rushed way, they're gonna be angry at you. And you're gonna be the receiver of that, that displaced anger for having waited in the waiting room for like however many long hours. And, and how do you continue to sustainably do that? You can't, right? That's the, in some ways, that's one of the, the reasons why I, I, I pursued um, the well being space. And I also, because I caused these burnout to people, right? Giving them the report cards of like, hey, I heard about this case. Can you tell me more? Like, there are kinder ways of doing that now. I learned that. Like, I actually went to training on how to like awaken compassion at work. Can we be just kind to each other? Knowing that, like, I don't think. People wake up in the morning and say like, I'm going to like cut corners today. I'm not going to, I'm going to do like a half-assed job for my, like for my patients. No, nobody does that, but the environment leads us to do that. And so like, how can we truly understand the case, like a bad outcome and, and, and understand that there's a human being behind those decisions. This is so good. Um, like I said, I just, I see so much of my story and your story. And I, even going back to what you said, as far as working the three jobs, and we both talked about our each other's hustle, I think emergency medicine in a way taps into some familiarity um, inside of us because sure. so much hustle in sure. medicine. My program director used to always compare it to like waiting tables, you got somebody coming in, you got an order coming in, you got to bust this table. It's, it's always something going on and you're, you always are juggling so many balls in the air. And so yeah. if you're used to that in your daily life, if you're used to working a job and then getting off of work and then going to school and then getting off and then going to this other job for two hours and making sure you bring your bag there because you need to finish a paper while you have some downtime, all of that contributes. That's what I do still, right? Because we've been doing that for all since since the beginning, and and I will just say uh, thank you for that. Um, and um, what I, and and this is and 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 I hope this does not come off um, wrong. But but so please, I, I want your feedback on this. At the end of the day, what I've realized is that we're all replaceable. There is a shelf life for my role. There's a shelf life for for my position, right? And so I don't identify with these anymore. I can honestly lose my job tomorrow um, and be okay with it because I know that every day I show up based on my values, what I want to do, what I want to accomplish. And so I also take the time to invest in myself a lot more than before. In the past, the goal was to like submit this paper so that they can be happy, like do this thing so they can be happy. Now what I do is like, 
I need to learn this skill so I can be a better writer. I need to learn this skill so I can communicate better. And so I have executive coaching. I have, I, I take all these like classes now to like to do better, right? Because whenever that time comes that I will be replaced for whatever role I have, it just means that I'm so much better than myself when I took on that role. I never saw it that way before. In the past, it was like the hustle of just, just barely making it. But now that I'm making it, I can actually create paths for other people, number one. And then number two, I can model that I don't need to always start chasing after the next thing, right? Like when I got promoted, I celebrated the crap out of that because it is important for us to celebrate. Like we don't celebrate things anymore. Like by the, by the time you graduate, like when you get your next promotion, like you, 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 you clap and then you move on, you, you do the next thing. No, like now I'm actually much more intentional about I need this time for myself. I take two vacations every year, block vacations that I don't respond to emails, like things that 10, that 10 years ago me would never have done, right? Because I was always worried that I was going to lose my job. Now I can lose my job tomorrow and still be okay. Oh, this is so good. That, that I think was the perfect cap because what you're also involved in in AAM is also the Leadership Academy. Um, you are pretty good friends with the president of the organization as well, too. But I think professional development is the next biggest thing. Um, when you're kind of like in your middle career, late, early, early, mid career, like oh. I am since I'm about five years out of residency, is I'm doing the same thing. I am trying to take a beat and take time for myself and put up the boundaries that we were talking about. I think before we probably started um, hitting the record button, um, putting up boundaries. But also what I have started considering is that I travel a lot. That's my escape and I do it mm. because I welcomes. But also bringing that, that those few moments of vacation, just a every day, it just taking a moment to myself before I launch out into the world in any way, shape, form, or fashion, just at least five to 10 minutes for myself to reflect on and to just bring that in. Um, because I resonated with so much of what you said. It's like, now you've made it, you've got these titles, you've got the job, you've got, you know, the money finally, after all these years of waiting for it. And it's now, what are you going to do with it? It's about making an impact for the next generation. But because we've done so much to get here, we've hustled so much to get here, making sure that it's sustainable. Um, there, I mean, the, it, the, the air is thin at the top and also the spotlight is very hot and blinding sometimes. So we got to make sure that we restore ourselves as well too. I, I like that. And I know we're running out of time. I will just say though, that because I, I do want to underscore this, I would not have gotten here without the help of so many, so many people who were just kind. They didn't even like sponsor me. They were just kind, kind faces that I can talk to. When I was intimidated in my first AEM, like uh, uh, national conference or like whatever else national conference that I've been in, right? Like there were so many people who were just kind and, and, and just allowed me to see me for who I am without having to put up all these titles. And, and I think my point of sharing this is that in as much as there's a lot of hustle and working really hard to get us to where we are now, it's also okay to remember that we don't have to go through that alone. That there's actually a lot of people, the more we share stories like this, 
that will resonate, that, that, that there's this common humanity that like, again, alignments in our values, that if we can just find those people, the, 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 the weights of carrying it in, in, in our shoulders will be a lot less. Um, and also it, it brings inspiration. You mentioned like getting to know the president, like these are people that I just met like over the, like the years of my working, right? But these are people that I met because of the work that I do that is in line with my values. And so it's so much easier to then catch up and like get to know each other versus if I had to put like different facade and persona for each of the roles and projects that I do, then number one, it's exhausting. It's not authentic. And it doesn't really help me anymore, right? Because I don't have the time to try to piece like, who are you again? And how do we, and, right? I can just literally, like, that's what I did for this meeting. I showed up knowing that like, you're gonna ask kind questions. You're not here to interrogate me, to make me like, to put me down. And now I like, that's how I live my life. I show up to like, all right, ask me questions. And if I don't feel comfortable, there are questions that I will not answer. But again, the, the more authentic I, I can be about myself, about my journey, um, the more I think that it'll resonate with others. And the more that truly it honors the work of my mom, it will honors the work that, that I've done and the honors the work that the many people around me are doing. Absolutely. Um, LA, this has been an amazing conversation. <laughs> Do you have anything else you'd like to share before we close out uh no just thank you uh thank you for this time uh it's it's not easy to talk about these topics um often and uh clearly you got me to talk about them because of how awesome you are and so so thank you well thank you and if anybody wants to find you are you on social media where can yeah, twitter i am the worst with emails right now i'm literally responding to emails from like two weeks ago so if you find me on twitter um alvarez i can give you the 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 uh the link um i respond faster there just because i do that on my free time whenever i'm like in line somewhere okay and so you don't do any other socials you're not an instagrammer you're not a tiktoker oh no i'm very old school i'm on twitter yes i know i know i'm embracing that and also that's just I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm probably the worst, the worst with LinkedIn and, and on Facebook, that's just for my friends. Well, Sorry. <laughs> I have uh, connected on LinkedIn and I am thinking about showing this podcast on LinkedIn as well too. So I will keep you posted on that. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website.